This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. Cyber risk is a critical concept that many in the business and government worlds have to deal with on a regular basis, especially in a hyper-connected online world that covers everything from banking to medical records. Claire Pales is the best-selling author of The Secure CIO and director of 27 Lanterns, a consulting company committed to helping organisations create and sustain effective information and cybersecurity teams. For more than 15 years, Claire gained experience establishing teams and leading award-winning security strategies throughout Australia and Asia, including Hong Kong, China and India. Claire's information and cybersecurity career spans from utility companies and telcos to online and e-commerce teams. Based in Melbourne, Claire is a mum to four, a sought-after speaker, an industry writer and advocate for women in cyber. And here today, she's explaining more about the politics of cyber risk. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so what did you want to be when you grew up and did that happen? Like, is it, I'm obviously cyber wasn't necessarily on the radar, but did you want to be a ballerina or an astronaut? What were the things that you wanted to do? Well, originally I wanted to be a journalist uh, when I was younger, but uh, and I in fact did my work experience at the local paper. But as a school leaver, I wanted to be a police officer, and uh, I went to uni and studied police studies, and it held my interest in protecting the community, but it also opened my eyes to the world, and I never actually ended up joining the force, but. I went on to do a postgrad in electronic crime and I worked closely with the police uh, early in my career. And I guess working in cyber, some might say I'm in a corporate policing role. And while my dream of journalism never came to fruition, uh, I'm an author and a blogger and an advisor to the industry. So I guess I write for public consumption most days. Um, so I guess I've got the best of both worlds of what I wanted to be when I was a kid. So there is that kind of path where you can look back and join the dots and you can sort of see how you ended up where you are. Yeah, I mean, as you said, cyber wasn't really on the radar sort of 15 or 20 years ago, but um, my experience sort of evolved after my studies. So I started off as a paralegal and at the Yellow Pages, who and it was owned by Telstra at the time. And by chance, I met the woman who led Telstra's support for law enforcement, and I convinced her to give me a job. So I spent the next 11 years uh, at Telstra in corporate security and fraud roles, And then that led me to a a job in Hong Kong as a head of cyber. So it's sort of evolved. I've always been in in sort of security roles throughout my career. But um, when cyber was really coming to the forefront, um, I landed in a role in Hong Kong as in a regional position. So, uh, and I really got sort of 10 years of experience in three in a big hurry in that that role. So uh, I'd never planned to work in Asia and I'm not really a technologist. So uh, I pride myself on helping organisations protect people from cyber attack, I guess, more than from the technology perspective. And, yeah, I, I guess after that I found a niche in the market and decided to, to work for myself and, and but remain in cyber. Totally interesting. And, and look, without wanting to put too much of a gender lens on it, you do mention that you're an advocate for women in cyber. Would there have been many women working in this arena when you were starting out? 
Um, yes and no. It, I guess it really depends on how you define cybersecurity or information security. So there's a lot of women in the um, in the industry uh, across it. But if you if you come down to sort of specific numbers that are surveyed, it, it's really only a, about ten or eleven percent. I guess in the traditional cybersecurity roles, but um, I had a couple of role models that that I looked up to locally, and and you know one of them was the woman that I originally met, and, and she was doing great things um, in terms of the technology side. So there's not a lot around, but you can certainly find them if you go looking for them. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about your business, Twenty Seven Lanterns. What do you actually do, and and who do you mostly work with, in what capacity? So when I decided to work for myself, I looked at my job um, as a head of cybersecurity and I considered what I liked best about it because that was what would, I guess, motivate me to run my business and and get out of bed every day. So um, it was really building teams. And so 27 Lanterns helps organisations find and retain great cybersecurity leaders. And I work with businesses to understand why they're hiring a security leader and the value that person can add to their organisation. And then I coach and mentor that incoming leader. Security is is often an isolated role, and so some external support can go a long way to achieving success. And generally, I work with mid-size organisations um, who are hiring their first cybersecurity leader and and help them with direction in in uh, in terms of that. That's interesting. So, how long would that cycle generally take? Like, how long would you work with a client who's sort of onboarding someone in that capacity? Um, it can be as short as as a few weeks, and as long as one of the engagements I've done took five, uh, just over five months. But I guess it's really dependent on the leader who is uh, who I'm working with, the, the hiring manager or the the person that will be directly reporting to, and and their sort of true sense of what they're after and. Once they've got those non-negotiables in place, uh, we can move pretty swiftly and uh, and work through the candidates and, and really come to a landing on, on who's the most appropriate for the job. And and on the flip side of that, if there's no one in the market that is um, is going to meet those non-negotiables, to be upfront and honest about that as well. So it's, it's a work in progress, making sure that you hire the right person for where your organisation is in terms of cybersecurity maturity at the time. And how can businesses become more cybersecure when it seems that like the hackers are getting faster and it's more invasive than, than ever before? It just permeates all level of business and all types of transactions. I mean, what's some of the ways businesses can keep ahead of the pack, if, if you like? I would definitely recommend that organisations try to get the basics right. So cybersecurity threats or, or attacks are often opportunistic. So they happen because businesses get busy doing business and they forget about general security hygiene. So keeping your systems up to date. What sort of things are we talking? So keeping your systems up to date with patching. So, um, you know, making sure that you are always got the most up-to-date versions of, of software and and making sure that someone's keeping an eye on that, um, especially as, as new threats come about and educating staff about their role in protecting organisations. So, uh, you know, you might have heard the the old cliche that people are the weakest link in security and I think that's because people are, are trying to get their job done and they use technology to do that and sometimes they take shortcuts to make that happen. So often their heart's in the right place but but they can put their, their business at risk by by doing that. And, and I guess the other part of it is having a workable plan in place to bounce back. So if you are the victim of cyber attack um, in terms of your organisation, having something, a plan in place and, and some experts around you that help you to bounce back really quickly and, and be resilient. 
Absolutely great advice. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced over the years in your sector? Like there's probably millions, but if there was sort of a couple that stood out for you, what would it be? There's probably two that that stand out. And one is that more and more businesses are now becoming aware um, of the need to protect themselves from cyber attack. And it hasn't always been that way. So one of the challenges I've experienced over the years is convincing businesses that becoming more secure isn't just a project, it's it's a way of doing business. And and that's been a challenge. You know, they make a an investment in, in having um, some security controls put in place or some technology put in place. And then they think, well, that's humming along nicely. So that's the end of the project and, and we can walk away. But in fact, being more secure is is an evolution and it's and it's every day and it's building security in from the start in, in everything that you do in your organisation. And I think the other challenge would be encouraging great people to join the industry, so both students and professionals, and convincing them that cyber isn't all about dark rooms and wearing hoodies and coding and hacking. Um, that's definitely part of it. <laughs> but it's an industry that also needs yeah. passionate people from all walks of life who bring dynamic skills. So there are so many challenges. So just on that, what would be some of the more unusual skills that you think would um, maybe people might not think of as being um, suited to this career but could be? What would be something that you have seen work in terms of that? So cybersecurity needs people from, I guess, for instance, HR or, or that side of things because security, as I mentioned, is really a people uh, you need a people approach to it and, and getting people to buy into, you know, what's in it for them and why they should be more secure. And I guess on the flip side of that, we, we need people with marketing mindsets to to market those cybersecurity messages to our business and, and, I, and to help people to understand that from their perspective that they've got a role to play. Uh, we need finance people. So cybersecurity often has financial implications and um, from a personal perspective as well. So getting our staff and our employees and our customers to understand that, you know, it could be their livelihood at stake, so they need to take measures to to put security controls in place or to have a stronger password or you know, just those basic things. So people, we need people people, we need marketing people, we need finance people, we need young people who are, I guess, um, have grown up in a digital with a digital mindset. We need older people who are thinking about things from a more traditional sense and and can I guess communicate better with with our more senior members of the community as well. So it's really a um, as broad as it is deep in terms of who we need and and those those skill sets. It's definitely not all technical. While technical is very important, um, we we really need people from all walks of life. That sounds um, enlightening because I never knew that. I just, yeah, probably had some cliches around what cyber involved, although some of my clients have been in the insurance space and they've been, you know, men and women in cyber and they certainly um, wear suits and no dark hoodies. So there you go. I I guess one of the rising problems in cyber that many businesses encounter in the current business climate is that it's not just their cybersecurity practices. So we've talked a little bit about what they need to worry about, but also worrying about the cybersecurity protocols of the other businesses that they're working with. And I think that's one of the big challenges of of many organisations, particularly if they've got multiple clients and, and systems in place. How best can this be managed? So I think in terms of third parties, there's definitely a need to choose organisations to partner with who have the same security outlook as you do. So you can have all the security clauses in your contracts. But if the people you partner with don't live and breathe it the same way that you do, then you could be placed at additional risk and you might be tarred with a brush that that they are that is is kind of unfair 
um, in terms of the way that you practice. So having your own security standards mapped out and available for those people in your procurement team or your legal team or finance or whoever's choosing the partners for your business, it's critical that they know what standards to uphold and what expectations they should have of, of third parties and and really trying to reduce any risk um, that might come through being associated with others. Interesting. So I want to go on to a global topic now. So hacking into elections became global news in the wake of the 2016 presidential election. Why do you think this has become such a attractive, if you like, option for international forces? And, and how do you think that that can be prevented? Because they've even talked about things in Australia like Chinese influence potentially on our elections here. So it seems like we're in a different space when it comes to this kind of election process. What's your perspective on that from a cyber risk point of view? So I think it's attractive because for a few reasons. Um, cyber crime can be quite cheap. So um, it's quite easy to mobilise and take action by using people who are in remote locations who can hide their identity and hide uh, exactly where they are um, using technology. And for a relatively cheap uh, or small amount of money, you can uh, get the outcome that you're after. And in this day and age, many people are looking for ways that technology can help us get ahead. And that can be for both good and for evil. Um, I read a recent study about security professionals in the US, Australia and the UK and how concerned they are about this type of um, cybercrime in elections. And it's clear to that nearly all security professionals um, are concerned about this and, and not just about sort of the voting machines but also about the back, the back end. So um, it's not just about sort of protecting the, the parts of technology that we're in close contact with. It's, it's about where the election data is stored and that can be the most vulnerable part and I guess we, we don't really think about that. We think about what's, what's right in front of us. And I think prevention uh, of this sort of cyber attack is a pretty strong word because in reality if somebody wants to target the machines then they're likely to find a way in. But it doesn't mean that the people who own these systems and, and I think in many ways they're kind of critical infrastructure because they're the conduit to deciding who is going to be leading our countries and who's going to be protecting our physical borders. So we really need to think about who's building these um, these machines and, and this infrastructure and what actions are they taking to, to lock down them as much as possible. So I guess from from that from the political perspective, you know, it comes back to my answer earlier about partnering with organisations um, that are really thinking about security at the same level as, as our governments and, and those in other countries. Totally. And I think it's a, it's one of those things and now it's top of mind because it has become so newsworthy as well. Perhaps five years ago, we wouldn't have even really thought about that in terms of the more Western democratic countries anyway. We would have seen that as something that, you know, election meddling was something that happened in mm-hmm. dictatorships. So I think it's just a sign of the times as well that um, everyone needs to be more aware of this as, as a possibility. So you'd mentioned before the lady who gave you your first I guess, foray into cyber, but have you had any other memorable mentors in your career? And if you could explain a little bit about who they are and what they've taught you. Sure. So I've had a lot um, of people, I guess, that I've looked up to in terms of role models, but two um, people that stand out the most would be uh, one who was a boss of mine um, at Telstra. And he encouraged me to take every opportunity that, that came at me with, with two hands and sort of really hold on. And he'd had some regrets in his own career journey. And I guess I was able to learn from his experience, especially when it came to things like taking roles overseas and starting my own business. And 
Um, you know, he really encouraged me um, at an early age. He promoted me to be a manager when I was only about 24. And uh, that was really the start of me taking advice from him and, and learning how to be um, a really great security professional and um, and learn from his experience. The other significant person, I guess, is probably my husband, even from a career perspective. And, and when I met him, we were poles apart in terms of my approach to work and his. Uh, I was convinced that I had to do everything for myself and, and take the, the load on of, of trying to do things. And he was the king of outsourcing. He was, you know, getting other people to pull levers from here for him uh, and make things happen. And I guess he's taught me to remove some of the pressure on myself by having others take on some tasks. And there are other people around you who can who can do things for you. And and then together, you know, as the parents of four children, his approach to outsourcing has become really really important to make sure that that we can put the kids at the centre of what we do and and get others around us to help us with with business and and uh, and other activities. So I guess that's been a key learning for me is that I don't have to do it all for myself and, and then I can get the support of, of others. And I think that's a really important thing if you're juggling um, caring responsibilities as well because there's only so many hours in the day and there's only one of you. So I think the outsourcing thing is something that we can all benefit from for sure and I know I've learned to do that over the years as well. I don't know why we all think we can do it better and faster and whatever but you just end up burning out is in my experience anyway. Mm-hmm. So your final words, what would be your best tips for businesses wanting to get ahead in the politics of cyber risk? So I guess there's a a cliche that there's only two types of businesses and there's those who have been breached and those who just haven't worked out that they've been breached yet. And um, so I I guess the key thing is partnering with trusted experts. So no matter how big or small your business is, because cybercrime can be really crippling for small business. um, And so they need to be just as focused on this as the big corporates and being prepared, as I mentioned earlier, have good security hygiene, having a tested response plan in place. It's really about being resilient. You know, if you if you think about the fact that at some point it will happen to you, then how would you come back from that? How would you be back online quickly? How would you be back serving your customers as quickly as possible? And don't be afraid to invest in security. Employing dedicated security professionals is really important, um, but also just having really great technology at your fingertips and asking for advice about what those um, technology measures should be and I think most organizations are are coming to this realization now that that they have to it's the cost of doing business is to invest in in some security controls or or you know having that outsourcing model of getting others to do it for you so being prepared you know, knowing that you're resilient and and taking some investment in in the security of your organisation would be uh, my best tips for for wanting to get ahead in this space. Absolutely fantastic to have you on the Politics of Everything today. If you want to contact Claire Pales, there will be some details on our show notes as always. Until next time, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.